This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Our program comes to you from Michael's home studio in Franklin, Tennessee. Michael, I'm going to let our listeners in on a secret, even though we're on the air together every week. Mm-hmm. We don't record these every week. We don't see each other every week, so it's good to be back with you again Thank today. you. Sa- same here. And, and it is. We get together three or four days, and we, uh, we'll do a number of shows in that time. And we have this sort of concentrated worship, uh, worship uh, fellowship, mm-hmm. meal fellowship right, right. Uh, time together, and it is a rich time. Yeah. So. Uh, that's, for being here. that's exactly how I feel about it as well. Well, coming up on the program today, we're welcoming back our good friend Scott Rowley, who lives mm-hmm. down the road here in yes. Franklin. And Scott's going to come and talk to us about the Good Samaritan in the second half of our program. Actually, Scott's going to uh, pick up the guitar and join you here in just a moment. Yeah, um, that's a scary thought. Walking on the water. You guys have written some songs together. Yeah, over the years. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a good day, a good day to be together and to open the Word together. And a little bit later, also, when you sing that first song for us, Pat Flynn's going to play the guitar as well. But let's, let's talk about where we're opening the Scriptures. Uh, to here to begin the program. Okay, well, we're going to look at Matthew 14 and uh, the incident of Jesus walking on the water. And Matthew uh, also is the only evangelist that tells us that uh, there was another person that walked on the water, <laughs> mm-hmm. that at least for part of the time, mm-hmm. and that's Peter. Um, so let's, you want to just turn to it now? All right, let's t- turn to Matthew chapter 14. Should I start reading? And Why don't you? You I'll, pick it up halfway through well, then. I love like. to hear you read the Bible. Well, we'll, we'll do it together. Okay. This is uh, beginning at verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, right? Mm-hmm. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, The disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. Don't be afraid. You pick it up at verse 28, then? Yeah. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on the water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. (laughs) Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Hmm. Reading from the New Living Translation, a little bit later on, we'll take a look at a couple of other parallel passages of this event in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about this passage, let's uh, let's hear you sing about it, Michael. This is a fun song. This is from your CD called A Fragile Stone, mm-hmm. all about the emotional life of Peter. And the song, of course, is called Walking on the Water. Now, uh, Scott is here to uh, help uh, play the guitar and sing some background. And Pat's playing the guitar, and you're going right. to pick up the banjo. Right. We have Pat Flynn from the New Grass Revival playing. And, and people, I, I want to make sure that people don't get confused that this is not Bela Fleck, the banjo player playing. This is actually me playing the banjo. It's not your hero playing the banjo. No, no, it's no. You. And, and, I'm, and if they listen, they might be confused. But well, no, actually, this is just me playing the you banjo. You know, in concerts, people love to hear you pick up yeah, the banjo. So I, think, I think they like to see the, the, the impending train wreck that's always just about to happen. I think our listeners will enjoy hearing you play the banjo right now, Walking on the Water. Here's Michael. One, two, Sea of Galilee, fighting through the storm, all alone and so afraid, and wishing I was home, and wishing I was home. Thunder rolling, lightning crash, waves are rolling high, thinking about my wife at home, and so afraid to die, I'm so afraid to die. Jesus, you can see me, you know right where I am, only you can say. Through the raging storm And what do my eyes see? But Jesus walking on the waves And calling out to me And calling out to me Can't you see it's only me? Don't you be afraid Come on Peter, walk to me Step out upon the wave Step out upon the wave Jesus, you can see me 
Stepped out on the raging wave and kept my eyes on him. But every time I looked away, I started sinking in. I started sinking in. Just as I was losing hope, Jesus took my hand. Tell me, Peter, where's your faith? You know I'll help you stand. Only I can help you stand. Jesus, you can see me. You know right where I am. Only you can save me, for I'm a sinful man. Now, a lot of people are saying that is my kind of music. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we're coming from Tennessee, so... That's right. You have to have a, a you have to be able to play the banjo in, in order to get a driver's license here in Nashville, so... <laughs> the banjo was the first instrument you learned to play. We've talked about that Yeah, before. banjo really was the, the instrument that I, I wanted to be, you know, that, that my chief instrument, but uh, it didn't end up that way. Well, thanks to Scott and to Pat as well. We're going to be talking to Scott in the second half of our program, but let's get back to the study of the Word here. We uh, turn to Matthew chapter 14 and read about Jesus walking on the water. We mm-hmm. read about Peter trying to walk on the water here, mm-hmm. too. Well, and, and, and too, too often uh, we overlook the fact that he did it. I mean, it was a triumph of faith <laughs> that Peter actually did it. But uh, then what happened, and this is a wonderful sort of parable of what it means to have faith, he started looking at reality. And again, mm. we, we give Peter the short end of the stick. You know, let, you try it sometime, <laughs> right? He, uh, he starts looking around at the waves, and, uh, and this, is not, uh, this is not the demonic sort of squall uh, uh, that almost swamped the boat in Mark 4. This is a windstorm. This is a heavy wind that they're in the middle of. But Peter looks at the reality of the situation, and as anybody should, he goes, I can't do this. You know, this is impossible. And he starts to sink. Hmm. And I think one of the one of the wonderful things you see in the life of Peter is this whole tension between looking at reality. Uh, I mean, this is gravity we're talking about. That's reality. Hmm. Uh, the, you know, the smell that's coming from Lazarus's tomb is reality. But Jesus is calling us to look beyond that to another reality, where into a world where we do walk on water and and people do rise from the dead again, and five thousand people get fed from just a few loaves. So he's stepping into a new world, and it's a hard world to step into. I want to talk to you more about that reality, but let me back up for a moment. What do you think the purpose of this whole episode is? Why, why did Jesus do this? It's, it's revelation of who Jesus is. I mean, he's just fed the 5,000, right? And that, that affirms the fact that he is the prophet likened to Moses because the people realized, you know, gee, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness, and, and so you are that Deuteronomy 18 prophet likened to Moses person uh, that the Gospel of John makes uh, so much of. But Jesus is so much more than simply a manna provider. Uh, this this incident is a, is a revelation of his deity. I mean, mm-hmm. he is the Son of God. And there are all sorts of passages that, um, you know, talk about uh, God walking on the water and Job and that sort of thing. But I think there's, there's a wonderful little detail that only Peter gives us in Mark's account, which is in Mark 6. And uh, Peter remembers that Jesus was just about to pass by them uh, Matthew doesn't mention that, nor does John. Well, let's take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, it would be... I can't tell you what verse. I know it's it's someplace between... Well, the uh, passage starts at 45, 45 in yeah. Mark 6. Okay. But th- there's this peculiar detail that Jesus was about to pass by them. And what that is uh, connected to is the, the whole incident in Exodus 33, where God... Uh, puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he causes his glory to pass by Hmm. them. Let me read just those uh, couple of verses surrounding that. During the night, the disciples were in their boat out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, Mm -hmm. rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. See, there's the whole—it's a a windstorm. They're they're, they're, they're rowing against the wind. The boat's not about to be swamped like the the earlier storm. All right. About 3 o'clock—by the way, that says something, too, about— the compassion of Jesus to help them yep. in a situation like that. Right. right? He, he, and, and the other big difference between these two stories is, is in the first story, Jesus is with them. He, now he's asleep, but oh, he's with them. Yeah. In the second story, he's not anywhere to be seen. Oh, see? See. And they're okay. by themselves in this boat. About three o'clock in the morning, this is from Mark 6, he came to them walking on the water. He started to go past them. Yeah. But when they saw him walking on water, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Yeah, NIV says he was about to pass by them, something like that. Mm-hmm. And and that's the idea that he really was revealing his his deity and his glory to them. 
And so you ask what this story is about. This story is about uh, the person who is uh, the master of the wind and the waves. Hmm. But they obviously are frightened. They scream in terror. They think he's a ghost. What I mean, are you going to do? I, mean, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I mean, you're in the middle of a storm. It's dark. You're rowing against the wave. You're tired anyway. Yeah. And what else walks on the water except ghosts, right? I mean, that's. I mean, it's not reality, but that's their reality. Yeah, we take that for granted because we know this story. Yeah. You have to put yourself in their place. And then as he so often does, when he reveals himself in a new way, Jesus does this so often. When he reveals himself in a new way, he has to say, don't be afraid. You know, right after the transfiguration, he touches Peter on the, on the shoulder and says, don't be afraid. Hmm. Don't be afraid. When they, with the first miraculous catch of fish, you know, Peter is freaked out by all these fish. And Jesus touches him on the shoulder again and says, don't be afraid from now and you'll catch men. And I, one thing I think about Wayne, and I don't know if you've ever been confronted with this. I don't know if I've ever been confronted with a revelation of Jesus where I was terrified hmm. by his deity, by the, by the fact that he is God. He is the son of, you know, he is God in human flesh. There have been moments of awe, but not necessarily terror. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been terrorized by him either. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm sure people are listening or think, well, you're not supposed to be because, you know, because of the cross and that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. again, I think there, there, there maybe should be a point where when we realize the fullness of his divinity, the way the disciples did when they saw him walking on the water, when they're just going, you know, who mm-hmm. is who is this? I mean, he's terrifying. Now, you've pointed out something to me, and it's that when Peter gives account of this, yeah. he doesn't talk about his own experience. Yeah, it, he that, doesn't talk about the fact that he walked yeah, on the water. Isn't that amazing? Uh, now, we, b- behind all that, let's step back. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account. Okay, Mark interviews Peter. Mark listens to the preaching of Peter, and uh, he was requested then by the people in the community uh, to write the Gospel of Mark. That's where God, uh, Mark came from. And in almost every incident where, where in the other Gospels, Peter is the center of attention, in Mark, he, he isn't even there. This is an excellent example of that. Here we have Jesus walking on the water, and and, uh, Matthew clearly tells us that Peter did it as well. But when Mark tells the story, uh, he leaves Peter out. Now, I used to think, before I, I think I understood Peter's heart, I used to think, well, Peter left it out because he was embarrassed. See, he sank, and he didn't want that... In, in the public record, as I it see. were. Yeah. And I've come to believe that it really is his humility. Huh. Uh, it, it, you know, because he is a humble person and he does not want to, you know, boast. And aren't you glad that we have the different gospel accounts? Oh, isn't that a, another wonderful example of why we do have four different perspectives on the life of Jesus in, mm-hmm. these, in these four uh, accounts? In, in this particular story, there's yet another parallel. It's John chapter 6, where yeah. Jesus walks in water. Uh, it's only a few verses. Yeah, uh, why don't you read it? All right, okay. Uh, this is uh, John chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. That evening his disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed out across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them as they rowed, and the sea grew very rough. They were three or four miles out, little detail that mm-hmm. we didn't get in the other passages. Well, John is there, so he's got eyewitness detail. When suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, I am here, don't be afraid. Yeah. Then they were eager to let him in, and immediately the boat arrived at their destination. And when we talk about this as a story of revelation of his deity, what we need to realize is in the in the Greek, there's it's not I am here. Here is not there. It's simply ego emi, which is I am, oh. which is uh, from uh, Exodus 3.14. When uh, Moses asked God what his name was, he said, tell him I am sent you. So this is, again, that's another, I, le- I forgot that a moment before, but that's another indication of the fact that this really is a revelation of the divinity of Jesus. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, then the disciples worshiped him. Oh, yeah. Uh, what what form did that worship take, do you think? Well, it's interesting, to uh, once again, to, to, to compare the two storms. Um, you know, we have the earlier storm that's in Mark 4, which was a, 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 a squall, hurricane force, sort of a storm that, that blew down on the, on, the, on the lake and almost killed them. This was Satan trying to wipe out Jesus and the Twelve early in the ministry. Jesus is asleep. Remember, they wake him up. And his response is, uh, why do you have no faith? Why do you have no faith? And 
I'm, I'm determined that the reason Peter asked to walk on the water was that he didn't want to hear Jesus say that again. Hmm. And in fact, when Jesus does lift him up out of the water, he doesn't say he has no faith. He says, you have little faith. So, I mean, it is, it's sort of a progression, but not much. So this is deja vu here. I mean, they've been through this before with him. They've suffered this, this sort of an experience before. But the interesting contrast between these two stories is in the first story, when they're caught up in this furious squall, when the boat almost sinks, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples respond by saying, who is this? Hmm. Who is this man? Okay. But now here, after the feeding of the 5,000 yeah. and some other incidents. You contrast these two. That's interesting. Yeah, they, what, what's their response? When you they really in, are the son of God, they exclaim. Yeah. And what did they do? They worshiped they him. They worshiped him. So when you, again, you ask what this story is about, a, div, a revelation of di- Jesus' divinity, what do they do? They worship him. I think, Wayne, that there are some lessons that we only learn by sinking. <laughs> There's some lessons that we only learn by going through the storm. I mean, Christians, especially American Christians, think there's, we shouldn't have any storms. It should be one big picnic on a green lawn. But there are so many, the most significant lessons that we only learn in the midst of the storm. And one of those things we learn, I think, is what real worship is. At a time where there are all these formula and we have these TV commercials selling worship records and all this sort of stuff, uh, this is where the disciples really learned. This is the first time they worship him. Hmm. You know, up to this point, they've uh, wondered up until this they've point. wondered. And up to this point, you know, the people that he's healed have worshiped him and some other people have worshiped him. But this is the first time the disciples worship him and it takes the storm. And I think that's something that uh, you and I need to apply to our lives. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you're like this, Wayne. I'm always asking why don't I understand worship? Why is worship such a hard thing for Better me? Better believe it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think sometimes it takes the storm. Michael, I love it when radio is two-way, and mm-hmm. we always encourage our listeners to send comments and questions to us in the studio at michaelcard.com is the email address. Also, though, at our website, we don't talk much about our website, but there's a message board there, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had some questions even pop up on the message board from time to time. I think there have been some good conversations that have gone on in that spot in the website. So you can reach us with your questions either on the message board, but really the best way is to send them directly to us, uh, email in the studio at michaelcard.com. And when we do use your question, on the air, we will be happy to send you a New Living Translation copy mm-hmm. of the Scriptures. So mm-hmm. that's Study a Bible. extra bonus there for those of you who do contact us here. Well, we've chosen a couple of questions. Actually, we had three, but uh, Stefan asked about the I Am, which I think you answered in our last segment together, mm-hmm. actually, the uh, Ego Ami. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, clearly, I mean, it was, it's not clear. I mean, a lot of people would disagree with this, but I think for me, the way I read Scripture um clearly jesus is 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 revealing his divinity the, the other the other way you see that is that when he says that uh frequently people will pick up stones to stone him they've recognized the fact that he has manifested the divine name of god the mm-hmm. The, the sacred name that you're not supposed to say. That was a not-to-be-done kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and so I, yeah, I, I think they're a very good argument. I mean, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a settled matter that Jesus is manifesting the name of God. Stefan, thanks for sending that question along. Here's one that we plucked off the message board, and, and uh, you like this question, don't you? You've seen this I question. I did, yeah, I did like this question. Uh, the question is, when Jesus walked the earth, large crowds of people followed him everywhere yeah. he went. Why did they do that? Yeah, that is a great question. And, and particularly if you look at the Gospel of Mark, uh, again, you know, Mark is the remembrance of Peter. It comes from the preaching and from the, uh, the memories of Peter. Uh, you see, especially in those early chapters, from chapters 1 to about 7 or 8, everywhere Jesus goes, there is this huge crowd of people. Uh, the 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 ministry is almost sort of bookended uh, between three and six. Uh, chapter three, there's a block that begins that there were so many people coming and going that Jesus didn't even have a chance to eat. I mean, there were that many people. And then in chapter six, which concludes that little block, which is the cycle of discipleship block that we've talked about before on the program, the conclusion of that block is. There were so many people coming and going that the disciples didn't even have time to eat. Wow. Yeah, there's this always this crowd ever present. Jesus will try to get away from them, and yeah. he can't do yeah, it. Yeah, we, we see that in the in the Gospels. Yep. Um, but I, I know there's different layers of in everybody's different and may right. have been attracted to him for different reasons. Some right. were there for the show, you know, the healings perhaps. But I, do you think some were there that were attracted and they didn't really know why? Well, in, in, this is a mixed crowd, clearly. I mean, you've got... 
you've got the three, you've got the 12, you've got the 70, or at least elements of the 70. So I think uh, you, you have to recognize that there are genuine followers of Jesus in this crowd. There are people who, uh, who while they certainly don't understand everything, are definitely following Jesus uh, more for the right reason. Mm-hmm. But the, the image that I get from the Gospel of Mark is that the, the, this big mass, this big herd of people, are primarily there to receive gifts from Jesus. Oh, that see. is gifts of healing, gifts of uh, the feeding of the five, the four and the 5,000. I mean, that that's why they followed him. In fact, Jesus will say, you know, the reason you're here is that yeah. you ate and you were yeah. you were full. Kind of fickle uh, reasons, huh? Yeah, and, and the big lesson behind that, Wayne, is that um, you, you've got to understand that Jesus is not his gift. Jesus has wonderful gifts to give. Certainly, he can heal people. I mean, the the, the woman who has the the issue of bleeding, who's in the crowd and reaches out and touches him, uh, again, that's in the midst of this crowd that's pressing him. They're pressing him into the lake. He has to get into a boat to preach because they're they're literally pushing him into the water. Mm. And they want healing. They want this feeding. Uh, like you said, I think some curiosity people that mm-hmm. want to see miracles. And uh, and Jesus will try to get away from them. One night uh, in Capernaum, he'll go out and pray all night. And Peter will find him in the morning and say, where, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus will say, let's go somewhere else. You wonder how he slipped away. Yeah, let's go somewhere else. And why does he want to go somewhere else? Jesus says, so that I can preach. Because what he's come to do is proclaim the good news that the kingdom has come. He's come to give people himself. But these people only want gifts. And again, Jesus is not his gift. And to American Christians, I say the same thing. Jesus is not his gift. Sometimes when you watch TV, you think that the only reason people follow him is Mm -hmm. to receive a gift. Mm -hmm. Jesus hasn't come to give us gifts. He's come to give us himself. That's the big lesson, I think. You know, the thought that popped into my mind is how much like the church that is today. You know, there are so many people who are there, curiosity to receive the gifts. Some of them are true followers, true disciples. Yeah. And how it must break his heart to again, I mean, what what if you were, you know, in your relationship with your spouse, what if the only thing they ever communicated to you was, uh, you know, Wayne, could you do this for me? Wayne, yeah. could you do this for me? Yeah. Wayne, I need this. Wayne, yeah. I need that. And how it would break your heart when the person you love the most didn't just say, let's spend time together. You know, I, I value you as a person. I value, you know, your... Uh, you know, your heart. And I think so seldom do we come to Jesus that way. And I think that's what he he hungers for. That's a great answer. Thank you, Michael. We are going to send a copy of the NLT scriptures to to that listener. And uh, here's another question. question. This is from Lisa. Now, Lisa has a whole long list of questions. And Lisa, I'm sorry, we're going to have to just pare it down to one here. Well, we'll take the easiest one because they're very hard questions. <laughs> Maybe we can do the Lisa show someday and ask all of the questions. But uh, question number eight on your list, Lisa, why did Jesus do some things twice, mm. like cleanse the temple, fill the disciples' nets with fish, mm. and being anointed with costly perfume? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, and, and it's interesting, Lisa, so often um, more liberal scholars will look at those stories and say, well, it really didn't happen twice. It's just that for example, the temple cleansing, uh, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have that as perhaps the last thing Jesus did. Only John lets us know that it happened very early in the ministry, too, that Jesus tore the temple up twice. And there's no question that these are two separate events. Uh, not in my mind. I mean, uh, again, several scholars will say, well, John has clearly put it in the wrong place. And I think that's to do uh, John a disservice because I think it's important, I think, to answer Lisa's question. It's important to see that practically the first and practically the last public thing Jesus did was tear up the temple courts. Now, why did he do that is the big question. And the question, uh, not simply because he was indignant because there were merchants there, he certainly was, but the reason he did it was to reestablish a place of prayer for the Gentiles because mm-hmm. that court, that marketplace had been set up in the court of the Gentiles, the only place they had to come and pray. And I think it's a it's a clear indication of Jesus' concern for Gentile believers and for the di- the dignity of his Father's house as a, as a house of prayer. I see that. What about the, the fishing episodes? Well, that that's important too. Uh, and, and, and you don't, I don't think you understand the two uh, episodes until you realize that they were two separate episodes. The first one is there in Luke 5, the first miraculous catch of fish. And that's where Peter falls down and says, oh, get away from me. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy and that sort of thing. And he's right. <laughs> he is a sinner. He's, he shouldn't be around Jesus. But Jesus has chosen to be with sinners, you know, which is part of the good news. But it's, it's at that moment that Jesus touches him and says, don't be afraid from now and you're going to catch men. 
And isn't it interesting that before he calls them to become fishers of men, Jesus shows them just how good a fisherman literally he can be, hmm. you know. Hmm. And then the second one is that the second miraculous catch that's in John 21, which is a wonderful example, again, Lisa, of how it's so important to see two incidences because the second miraculous catch of fish takes place after the resurrection. And, uh, you know, I'm, it, I'm a dangerous person to ask about that passage <laughs> in John because that's, that's one of my favorite passages. But, I mean, suffice it to say, it's very important to see that Jesus did that two times, and the second time was after the resurrection. Peter swims to him, and and uh, the, the reconciliation happens on the shore. Hmm. I think we have time for one more question here. This comes from Kristen. I'm sure you hear this question a lot, but it's about the song El Shaddai. Right. She wants to know the Hebrew translation, so as her daughter or the daughter of a friend is singing the song, she knows what she's yeah. singing. And it is, isn't it good to know <laughs> what you're singing? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that is a good question. Here, here it is in a, just in a nutshell. Uh, Hebrew word El is the word for God. Uh, they're all sort of compounds of El, and that's okay. what's going on here. So In English, that's E-L. Yeah, yeah, El. I mean, my name uh, is about God, Mike El, oh, Mikael. Okay. It means who is like God. I never made that connection. Yeah, E-L is God. So uh, El Shaddai. Shaddai means to the mighty, to the strong. It, it actually means the God with the uncovered arm. Because every now and then in the Bible, God will uncover his arm and his enemies get wiped out. That's a so, great picture. Yeah. So El Shaddai is the, is the God Almighty. Uh, El Elyon, see, that's another one, mm-hmm. is God in the highest, the God that's above all the other gods. Okay, El Elyon. Uh, the, next, the next word is na, which just means please. It's called the particle of entreaty. Uh, it means oh or please. Hosanna hmm. means oh save or please save. So, so, means, so it's oh Lord. Uh huh. It's oh yeah. You can translate oh and Adonai is, is one of the most simple forms for Lord. So El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, God Almighty, God Almighty, God in the highest, O Lord. And then the third line is uh, again El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erachamka, which is a form from the Psalms that means I will love you. Not Adonai, oh Lord. Isn't it great to get these questions from oh. us? I mean, it, it says that their minds are being engaged by the scriptures, yeah. which is what we want to happen. And the nature of a good question, there's nothing like a good question to really engage with scripture, I think. Once again, our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com or just come to michaelcard.com and the message boards are there as well, yeah. which is where we got a couple of these questions today. So thank you, Michael. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And I want to thank the listeners for asking those questions. Good questions. And you are listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. Coming up in the second half, we'll talk with our friend Scott Rowley here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Well, Michael, joining us now in the studio here is our good friend Scott Rowley. I said recently, Scott, you're always welcome here. You took us up on that and came back. So thank you. It's always great to be with you, Wayne. Thank you. And you, Michael. Thank you, Scott. I sometimes think that we should record what goes on before we actually open the microphones here each time Scott comes in. Except no stations would ever play it. We have a good time, don't we? You guys are best friends and have been so for a long time. Yeah, we were instant best friends the first time we met, which is a bizarre thing. Yeah, singing background uh, on some recordings for a local bank. Yeah. Singing jingles. That's right. How Williamson County Bank. How about that? Credit union, credit union, credit union. <laughs> <laughs> but you've written some songs together, too. A lot of songs, yeah. Including one on the new CD, A Fragile Stone. The theme song. Which was very fortunate, and I got to sit with Mike as he worked through the... He lays out all the songs for a record, and it's fun to just go listen to him talk, and we were able to, uh, he actually handed me the idea of Fragile Stone and was able to go home, mess around with it, and we came back and finished it off, and yep. it turned out well. In fact, we, uh, on this program, we actually worked through a, That's an right. early recording. That's right, for the first time. It mm-hmm. was very interesting. I remember work. you were reading the lyrics off yeah. the computer screen, <clears throat> yeah. and the screen went blank. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it is good to have you here today, Scott. We're going to uh, talk about matters of community here. We're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan here in a few moments. But before we go there to the text in Luke, but before we go to the story of the Good Samaritan there in the book of Luke, let's, uh, let's ask you guys to sing one of those songs you've written together right here, right now. The title of this is... The perfect prayer. And it really was an idea that Mike came up with seven words that Jesus spoke in prayer to the Father when he said, if possible, that the cup would pass, the cup of crucifixion would mm-hmm. pass, but but not my will, thine be done. That that context um, is really the heart of what uh, of what we're doing even today in the in the idea of community. Um, but as it relates to mercy, mm-hmm. that this is the most merciful thing that can happen, is that our God would die for us, this mm-hmm. great love. 
And even as God in Christ um, spoke those words, it was it was the picture that <clears throat> he responds to the authority of his father. Well, let's listen to this together. Uh, Scott's playing guitar and singing now, and Michael's at the piano. This is called Perfect Prayer. There is a truly perfect prayer. It's totally complete. It speaks of love's submission and spells out sin's defeat. It's the only prayer that understands the purpose of our pain. When it's spoken from your heart, it is the perfect prayer of faith. Not my will, but thine be done. seven simple words the victory's won perfect prayer of God's anointed son not my will but thine be done the son of man was tempted to betray his father's trust suffered for his loyalty and died for each of us in his sacrifice he overcame the power of sin let's pray this perfect prayer take up our cross and follow him not my will but thine be done in the seven simple words the victory's won the perfect prayer of God's anointed son not my will but thine be done not my will but thine be done not my will but thine be done Thanks, Scott, and thanks, Mike. We're uh, we're so grateful to have you guys here and doing what you do musically for us, but also to have uh, time in the Word together. That was a nice retard there, wasn't it? I mean, yes. we retarded right together. <laughs> you musicians. Oh, it was it was nice. <laughs> I'm focused on all the wonderful words and the well, sound. No, and you... I'm listening. I'm going. Okay, here comes the retard. Who's going to retard first? But we retarded together. So, a little inside studio talk. Being here. retarded together. Has, has <laughs> it's really been it's our... sort of the theme yeah. of our relationship. It's the way we've always done it. <laughs> Let me rein this back in here, if you guys don't mind. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the text in Luke uh, chapter 10. Scott, will you take us there? Yes, uh, this is the Word of God. It starts with Luke's 10th chapter, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If this bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. 
Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Whoa, what an amazing story. Everything that's going on underneath that story, the tension of this Jewish religious you know, leader and the way Jesus crafts that story, and of all people, a Samaritan is the good guy. And and he Jesus tries to force the guy to say Samaritan, but he can't. Right. He says, uh, uh, the one who showed him mercy. Uh-huh. You know, he won't say uh-huh. Samaritan. And the fact that the two people who 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 walked by the wounded man were doing, according to their culture, what they should have done. Hmm. I mean, there's something wrong with the culture when it's okay to invo- to avoid ritual, you know, impurity, hmm. to pass by someone who's hurting. Uh, what a masterful story. Yes. In fact, the New Living Translation, which is what we read from, is so wonderful and accurate because it does call uh, all three individuals, the Jewish priest, the temple assistant. Yep. And then, of course, the despised Samaritan, yep. which I think I can hear Bill Lane. That's our the teacher. dynamic equivalence yeah, of the translation. It's just fantastic. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, very helpful because it does picture the Samaritan who you got your attention. What would be some of the people in our lives that... Um, are despised. Who is it that you despise? Um, People it... you've written off for whatever Correct. reason. Well, and no. then it's yeah. not the Samaritan that's wounded. It's the Samaritan that does the good thing. I Correct. mean, that's that was such a twist in the story. And so it helps us because I think of people that I despise. And if they are the heroes, yeah. it really helps me put in, into practice today seeing the heroes that I'm the person, you know, who's our dreaded enemy? Who are mm-hmm. the people we think can never be saved? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of text, uh, yeah. tension. Mm-hmm. And the way we would have told the story, we would have said, a poor black uh, yeah. man was wounded, mm-hmm. you know, and who, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's still, that's, that's, yeah. that's and then, biased. And then a good guy who, I mean, we're all Anglos sitting here, right. a nice, mm-hmm. a nice, well-off, educated Anglo stopped by who did the right thing. He was, he was a good man. He yeah. did the right thing. So we'd all pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Jesus often taught in parables, but this is a story. This is, you think this is true? I don't know if it was true or not. No. I don't think it has to be a true story. I mean, some people, you know, want to, want to champion that idea. That's not the point. I don't no. think, uh, I think it's interesting that Jesus would have set it up the way he did. Uh-huh. Very much like yeah, him. and obviously the road. That's a great, you know, when you think about the road, the Jericho Road was dangerous. It was windy. Right, it was could have happened. Frightening could have happened. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, you know we talked about community. The reality that this Samaritan who was despised by the community then becomes the the paradigm for what community is, which is the community of mercy that he's going to extend, not just by picking the man up, but literally taking him to a place. I mean, he wrecked his day. He wrecked his schedule on behalf of this, of this, of this poor, you know, hurting person. And that is a picture of what we don't see very often in our community is that we're willing to wreck schedule, financing, everything that we hold dear. Well, talk to us, Scott, about how the concept of mercy is the, is the concept that defines community. Well, ultimately, you know, this is a picture of the Samaritan, the despised one, who is Jesus. Jesus is the most clear picture of what the Samaritan would be. He left his home in heaven, relocated to earth. He wrecked to be his with schedule. Us. He wrecked his. <laughs> what a great idea! Yeah, well, you just wrecked, said it. He wrecked his schedule. <laughs> Whatever his schedule was, he wrecked it on our behalf. I mean, yeah. doesn't it emotionally yeah. just begin to stir your heart to say, "This is the love that God demonstrated." And that he sent his son. Now, the son comes to communicate and to bring together community. He unites us. We're in him. He's in us. And that mercy that he showed in loving us then is extended to others. And he clearly points that out to the, mm-hmm. to the expert in the law who does not want to hear about his neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Scott, as you were reading the story, I was thinking um, the, uh, the good Samaritan really did more than he had to, more than was expected of him by many people. And uh, someone said to me recently, partial obedience is disobedience. You wow. Know? And yeah. he obeyed, right? I mean, he did everything he could to help right. this man. And it's material goods. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to the innkeeper. He gives him the money. He says, I'll repay whatever you need. I mean, he goes the distance, not only just by being there physically, but it's, it's an act. It's a deed of mercy. That defines mercy, doesn't Correct. it? Correct. And yeah. I think mercy is is meeting physical needs through deeds. It's yeah. not just cutting a check. Now, again, for those that... Are, are wealthy and need to be giving more. I mean, it's all God's. We want to give, but it's not just about cutting the check. It really is 
this, you know, this man gets into his hands in the mud. Yeah, he doesn't know? just save his life. He gives his life back to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He preserves more than just his life. He gives him dignity. He, he gives him his life back. Okay, so we've talked about this as a story. Right. What does it mean to us? What are we to take away? What, what's, what's for us here? I believe our daily experience is that we run into people constantly who have physical needs. They're not lying in a ditch necessarily. They're not necessarily lying but in a ditch. But sometimes they are. And sometimes they yeah. are. And, to, and so we don't want to back off the fact that physical, the material world is under God's sovereign control, just like the spiritual world. And unfortunately, the evangelical community truncates or dichotomizes between spirit and secular. So we have this problem that you can't reach into someone's life who's got a material problem. So the mm-hmm. first thing is a roof on a house, um, a hospital visit. Those are tangible, visible expressions of the gospel. It's word and deed. Mm-hmm. That's the way the gospel's transmitted. So first of all, we've got to just take some kind of an account of where are we? Are we caring for people in this physical realm? And, and, and do our definitions match the definitions of Scripture? So what, what is my definition of neighbor? My functioning definition of neighbor is not this passage. It's not the person who needs me. It's, it's the person who na- lives next door. I mean, my natural automatic definition of neighbor is not Jesus' definition yet. But just as you were saying earlier, it's, to me anyway, it's often the interruption, the potential of the interruption. Rather, It's easy to write a check, and it's mm-hmm. easy to say, well, somebody ought to do something about that. But I'm so task-oriented right. to stop what I'm doing when, I'm a com- when I come across a need right. and to change my agenda. Right. Real community isn't withdrawal, which what is what the North American experience really is. What, what North America creates is we're going we're gonna to do the American dream, which is to withdraw and really build my own safety, my own place of comfort. It's to be safe and nice. When the reality of the gospel is, no, you go the other direction. The community invades. It moves in, mm. and it gets involved in. So the interruptions are time uh, they they hurt us because they interrupt our dream versus saying here's how the dream really comes true yeah. it's really by letting go and, and giving up you know a, a funny what well, you saying that just made made me aware of a, a, a tension in our relationship that happens a lot um I'll call Scott and say, oh, let's go to a movie. Oh, let's let's go fishing. Let's do something like that. You know, I'm always got, you know, my, that's my American dream stuff. And Scott's always in a meeting or he's always, I mean, he's working uh, in the community. Uh, the other night I wanted you to go go to a movie and he had a meeting with in, in his neighborhood, which is the black neighborhood in Franklin. And he had people coming in and he was going to have them sit down and meet the policeman and kind of get this program started. And I was b- bummed. I was irritated. Yeah. And uh, well, so was I. I mean, well, I, there's, there's, <laughs> there's times when, as you said, there's times when you think, why, why am I? Why are we really doing this? And yeah. we have this tension. You're messing up my schedule. Right. Right. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a good way to put it. And I do think also we we we're in community in that Mike's life as a singer songwriter or as a, a musician, a writer, a book writer, a teacher, all the things he does. That's not exactly what I do. What I do daily is another thing. And they connect. They're, they're connected. We can't do without each other. Yeah. We, we need each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's not just check writing. It's more than that. But we need check writing. Yeah. We, it, it's all of it together. And so what our habit is, is to just sort of simply say, whatever I do best, that's the way I'll define it. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott has a song called "Within My Reach." It's one of the one of the early songs, uh, one of the first songs I heard of Scott's that that defines this uh, really well in terms of who is my neighbor. My neighbor is the one who's within my reach. So, would you play that for us, Scott? We agree that love should be the purpose of the earth. The way you love your neighbor is a measure of your worth Can you hear a baby if she cries out in the ghetto And if you do, is she within your reach? Beating swords to plowshares is the hope for all good men No matter what their government or their race, their creed, their land When you count the warheads we have pointed at each other How do we place peace within our reach? Lord, I will stand against the madness 
Knowing in my weakness you will be made strong Through a simple serving spirit of gladness Help me Jesus as I stand against the wrong And even as you have touched me I will touch the ones you place within my reach Loving one another is the way to heal the hurt Spending time with Jesus is the only way love works I can see the old men who are drowning in their bottles I can feel the heartache of the lonely and the troubled I can see the children being murdered in their mother Lord I must stand against the madness knowing in my weakness you will be made strong through a simple serving spirit of gladness Help me Jesus as I stand against the wrong And even as you have touched me I will touch the ones you place Oh help me love the ones you place Lord let me touch the ones you place within my reach Scott, thank you. Boy, that uh, that song really gets to you. That's that's Scott's life. I mean, uh, you have to be careful what you sing because you you've grown into that song. Yeah, I think you know it's something that um, just actually hearing hearing uh, the idea that God existentially breaks into our lives. It's just a profound thing yeah. that He saves us who deserve death and hell. You know, Michael. Uh, your best friend sitting here, and, and uh, we'll talk about him for a minute. I mean, Scott wrote that song a long time ago. He did. Well, but his, his life has been the story of that song. That's what I meant. I mean, he, he grew into that song, and I'm so proud of him. Um, to, to validate what you write by the way you live, that's the big missing piece mm. in mm, American yeah. Christianity. Mm, and yeah. and it's I'm just so proud of you. Yeah. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about not understanding pain, and he wrote, problem of pain even even kind of before the big pain of his yeah. life i do think that um you know that was a song that mike and i would uh, i would open his show his concerts with and uh and then uh, you know it was just so fun to play with him and sing mm-hmm. and uh, our camaraderie but it was on on a bus doing that kind of thing when we first heard john perkins uh who i know will be a part of of the radio show at some point and um Hearing hearing John Perkins tell us about hands on, you know, real ministry, and and then to say, you know what, riding around the bus is great, but I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. at some point, and Mike, Mike was as gracious in saying to me, you know, it's done, mm-hmm. as uh, I was sort of in in finally realizing um, I've got something else I've got to go do, mm-hmm. and I I just think for all of us. God has a, a specific plan. Yeah. I wouldn't change my life at all. We need, uh, we need to move on that. Yeah, we need to. And, and and when he speaks to you and he says, you know, come follow me, it's it, to anyone out there that's hearing that call, it's worth it's worth it. It's worth letting go. It's worth saying, not my will, but thine be done. And his will is that we be merciful and that we show mercy to those that need it. Yeah. Scott, you've taught us much today. Your life teaches us much. I just wonder if we can close by asking Scott to pray for mm. listeners. I, I know there's some listeners moved yeah. right now. And let's uh, let's mm-hmm. pray that uh, they'll, they'll take action on what we've learned here today. Right. Our gracious God and Father, um, here in the darkness, in the sadness, in the, in the brokenness, um, we really need your mercy. And I pray for your mercy. Have mercy on us. And I thank you that you demonstrated love and mercy and that you came, you paid a penalty that we all owed, and none of us could pay it, and you did. And I thank you for that. And I pray right now for that person who's sitting at home, listening, or they're in their car, uh, driving. Uh, they want to end their life. 
They want to uh, leave this place. They, they rebel against you and everything good. They don't think there's goodness out there. They're broken. Bro- they're bleeding. They're hurting. They're like, they're like us all um, that need you. I pray for them now that they would turn to you, Jesus, and they would simply say, Lord, who is my neighbor? Would, would they say to you, Jesus, thank you that you demonstrated this kind of love, that you came for me. Thank you that you love me. And um, so turn their hearts to him. Jesus, I thank you now that uh, we can pray um, like this, that we can be together like this. Bless this show. Bless this con- the continued ministry that you have for us. And uh, we, we are just uh, overwhelmed and grateful and thankful. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Scott. What a meaningful way to end our time together in the studio with Michael Card. And if you're a regular listener, then you know how much we value prayer. And we're praying that God will use this time each week to broaden your relationship with Christ. It would be a great encouragement to hear how this is happening in your life. We hope you'll take a moment and send your comments, prayer requests, as well as your questions about the Bible to studio at michaelcard.com. And here are a couple of messages we've received. The first one from a 10-year-old listener who writes, My brother and I really like your music. We listen to In the Studio with Michael Card every Saturday night. And here's one from a listener to WCDR. I love everything you do. I'm always encouraged, educated, and enlightened. Thank you for the variety of subjects and the wonderful music. Well, you have no idea how much an email can cheer us on as we work to bring this program your way each week. So please drop us your note. The address again is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll be sure to stop by www.michaelcard.com to get a better look at all that's going on with the ministry. Now, as we get ready to head into the summer, we're gearing up for some great time of outreach. So why not come by and check out the tour schedule to see when Michael will be in your area. Then see all the resources available to access for those who become members of a section we call the community. And if you'd like to review what's been said today, then go to our radio page for the audio streaming of this entire broadcast. Also, you can order a CD copy of this or any in the studio program and see if you'd like to sign up to automatically have CD copies of each week's broadcast sent to you. This would be a great way to keep current on the program as we head into the vacation season. You can find all of this as well as a complete listing of Michael's books, DVD, and CDs, including his latest recording project on the life of Peter called A Fragile Stone. Just click for all the details when you stop by michaelcard.com. And then don't forget to join us again next week at the same time for more music and challenging conversations centered on God's Word. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.